You're now tuned in to the Desire to Trade podcast, a show where we bring you the best figures of the trading world and teach you how you can become a successful trader. This is your host, Etienne Kret. Etienne Kret here, Forex trader and founder of Desire to Trade. Welcome to episode 80 of the Desire to Trade podcast. In the past week, I've been traveling once again and moving to a different place. I'm kind of readjusting a little bit in my uh, upcoming destination, but for now, I'm recording this in Hong Kong. One of the things that I'm really, really happy about Hong Kong is that the internet is like 100 times faster than China. It's like I'm able to trade. I didn't day trade that much, but I was able to at least swing trade properly and get internet access pretty much anywhere, which is really, really cool. Now, it turns out that Hong Kong is one of the favorite cities of my guest today, Paul Langham. Paul is a forex trader based in Belgium. And what I really like about him, after finding out about him online, is that he has a good understanding of how banks work. He's been working for banks. He knows how banks look at price, what they do. And that is a really big skill to have, really big understanding. Paul trades only with price action, no indicator. And he shared exactly how he does it, pretty much in this interview. He shared some trading strategies, things to look for, and a couple of the big mistakes that most traders make, and he's sharing exactly how to avoid them. If you guys want to reach out to Paul, or if you want to simply get in touch with me, check out the show note after the episode. Those are going to be on desiretotrade.com forward slash podcast, and you'll just have to scroll to find Paul's show notes. On that note, help me welcome Paul Langham. Paul Langham, welcome to the Desire Trade Podcast. How's it going today? Okay. Hi, Etienne. Yeah, I'm very, very excited to be here and uh, thanks for having me. It's always a pleasure to have new guests on the podcast and it's a pleasure, especially to have you here from Belgium. I think you're the first guest from Belgium that I have on the podcast. That's pretty interesting. Okay, that's cool. Well, that'll be a first. I'll be able to brag a little bit to the guys at the bank about being the first on your <laughs> podcast. So, it's just, so it should be great fun. Exactly. So the first question I always ask the guests in the episode is, what is one quote that inspires you? Yeah. Okay. So I had to think quite hard on this one, but um, my top one is the phrase that I hear quite often in trading, that it can't be done. So at this point, I'm a type of guy that likes to have a challenge. So at this point, when I hear it can't be done, that's when the motors get started. That's when I look at the problem and I think, well, okay, if we turn it upside down, turn it inside out, let's see if we can find a way through the problem. And I like to then start researching and trying to find a way through the problem to uh, prove that it can't be done and it can be done, in fact. Nice. I love that. It's pretty strong. Yeah. And what are you doing these days exactly? Okay. So I'm in, in Belgium, in Brussels, originally from the UK. So I've gone via uh, Luxembourg, 10 years in Luxembourg, and I've been 20 years in Brussels, Belgium, in Europe. I also did a year in Amsterdam, working in um, one of the multinational banks and doing a lot of Forex trading. So at the same time as working in the bank, I run website exacttrading.com, developing automated trading systems, executing my own manual trading systems, and then helping retail traders to get on the right track, and building a team of traders who will ultimately be trading other people's uh, money, and uh, permanently in trading development. That's, it's all about trading, really, for me. Nice. It's pretty interesting. Pretty fascinating, I feel. Yeah. And I want to go back a little bit and why don't you tell us how you started to trade? Like how did you get involved in that in the first place? Yeah. Okay. So what I had situation with me was that uh, due to family, family circumstances, I was sent to 
one of these uh, typical uh, UK boarding schools, you know, the type of thing you see on TV sometimes where all the guys are sort of dressed up in their uniform and that type of thing. Very Victorian, very Spartan in its regime, huge amount of studying, a lot of sport, and as we say, cold as charity, you know, very, very austere in the countryside, miles from anywhere. So actually, you know, we were there, I was there for the weekends and everything. And after all the sport and the study, there wasn't an awful lot to do. So I actually got uh, started to be interested in trading when one of the maths teachers, he started to talk about casino games, actually. He started to talk about casino games and odds. And that was when actually a light went on. And at the same time as, um, as doing that, I was also quite gifted at music. So I actually studied uh, music. That was my first uh, career. And I guess I had some sort of you know, rhythmic gift or understanding of musical interpretation. So even today, you know, when I look at a euro US dollar chart, I'm still thinking about uh, notes of a score on music and, and sort of comparing them to uh, candlesticks on a chart. So that's how the whole thing type of started. And this sort of interest in percentages, theory of chance and casino games, that's when the lights went on. And for some reason, I'm not quite sure how it all started, but I was interested, started to get interested in you know, the casino games and horse racing, actually. I don't know if you've been to the uh, UK a lot, but there's a lot of horse racing going on in the UK, popular Saturday afternoon and midweek pastime at the time. It sort of dried up a bit, I think, now. And we started to attend meetings, this horse racing, and I started to look at the odds and, and try and work out how the odds were working. And all of this is actually sort of related to what goes on in the uh, financial markets. And so I think I was about maybe 13 or 14, and I actually started to make some odds on the, uh, the sports fixtures at my school, so the, the, the rugby games and all that type of thing at school. And I started to lay bets on these outcomes. So only very, very small because obviously I didn't have much money at the time, but I had this board where I chalked up all the prices of the teams and, and, and the odds. And you know, when I think about that now, it's actually quite hilarious what we were doing. You know, of course, at the school, this was uh, completely illegal. If they'd found out, I guess they would have expelled me or at least beaten me. We used to get beaten quite a lot there. It's one of these typical schools. I mean, maybe they knew that I was doing it. I don't know. Maybe they let the entrepreneurial spirit sort of go unchecked. They, they turned a blind eye. And this odd slaying actually progressed into working for a bookmaker on the race course during the school holidays. So I was maybe, I suppose, 15, 16 by that time. And I used to go to the race courses and work for these bookmakers. And basically what I was doing, and I didn't really realize it, realize it at the time, was sort of manual price arbitrage. So I would be running in between the different bookmakers where they had the prices of the horses you know, chalked up. And I would quickly go and see this one was at two to one and then run back and, and tell them that price and they would move it. And then at the same time, I also learned how to do this race course sign language. I don't know if you've ever seen that, something called a tic-tac, where you, you move your hands a bit like the, the floor traders. Uh, and that, again, has sort of died out now because it's all gone electronic. But you sort of move your hands for different prices and the prices have you know, different names. I remember being quite fascinated by that as well, the whole fact it was a market. And basically, it was a sea of people, sea of money. And I learned how to do all the prices. And I still remember some of the names, actually. The Burlington Bertie is 130. Nine to four is top of the nuts, they call it, which is when you touch your head. And then very interesting, because my wife actually is, is from the Netherlands. At the time, 11 to four, of course, it's all digital now as well, is what they call Elifa Fia, which is actually Dutch. And I think it probably goes way back to the William of Orange, probably um, 1650 or something. Some, so the English must have taken that on, which is Dutch. But that's how it all started. Um, and do you think that experience helped you in trading or was it 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Because this, this was a point where, you know, I was just, I didn't really understand what I was doing, but I was thinking on the feet, looking at the prices, working out the odds effectively in my head. And that's also what these bookmakers were doing as well. And whilst I was there, I noticed I was at tracks like Ascot and Sandown Park, which are quite close to London. I noticed that a lot of the guys, a lot of the punters, the people actually placing bets in the members area, they would seem to be very, very well, what I call well-heeled, they know, nice suits and the rest of it. And I thought, and I know I just sort of got attracted to that. And some of the bookmaking fraternity, the guys that I was working with were really sort of what we would say absolutely from the wrong side of the tracks. And I found out that the suit guys were all on the markets. And it was a sort of gradual progression. I then started to become interested in the stock market. And I think I must have been about 16. Then when I bought about 50 pounds worth of shares in a company called Dares Estates, which was a property company. I don't know what the driver was for the actual purchase or from where I got the, the 50 pounds. But all of a sudden, I had this stock certificate. You know, I could get a dividend from the shares. I thought it was just brilliant. I was going to get rich. Needless to say, the shares ended up completely worthless. That's how it all started. And then what also happened at that point was that the music I was doing, it carried on. I later went on to study music and I actually played one night with the London Symphony Orchestra, would you believe, which was a great night, unforgettable. But they turned around to me and said, well, it's fine. You know, don't phone us. We'll phone you. And that actually, of course, was, was the rejection point. And I'm still waiting for the phone call. And that's sort of 35 years ago. So that was a blow. But then I thought, well, okay, what am I going to do? Side, trading was a sideline. But then I thought, okay, that's the thing that I uh, know something about. So I decided to actually get into that. Effectively switched career at that point. Went in, up to the city of London because I lived very, very close to that. Went into an agency. They said, yeah, you can start tomorrow as, in a commodity broker as a trainee. And that's how I started. And how was that getting started? Like, did you make a mistake or was it pretty straightforward? How did it go? Yeah, well, it, yeah, it was. I mean, again, I was very, very, you know, young and naive. I didn't really understand much, but I, I went into this commodity brokers and was basically working in sort of back office and, and, and trades coming through, that type of thing. And then somebody said to me, oh, yeah, this company is not very good, you know, and I have a friend uh, who works in a bank trading floor. You know, you can get a job there. So I went to see someone one afternoon and then again, in those days, you could switch very, very quickly. And I switched again sort of on a Friday afternoon and then started in the bank in the, on the Monday morning. So I switched out of the commodity trading into, into the bank trading. That happened very, very quickly. And the learning process, I mean, in those days, actually, it was actually quite easy to make money. I was actually trading options, which were very new at the time. And there was a lot of price arbitrage going on. Again, that sort of relates a little bit back to the bookmaking. But I made all the amateur mistakes, of course. You know, I, I was doing the, exactly the same type of things, the mistakes that people make today I was doing then. So what's uh, the worst mistake you've made? Well, the worst mistake that we made um, actually was in 1987. So this was my private account, actually, where I was working at the bank. As I said, I was buying a lot of, I was buying a lot of, uh, selling, buying and selling a lot of options. And I, get, I was very good at understanding option strategies. I was actually making quite a lot of money. But what I didn't realize was that I was always making money on the upside. And this was because we had at the time one of the biggest bull markets in history. So, you know, basically whatever you were buying, it was going up. And it was actually quite easy, but I didn't really realize it. But the money was coming in. And then on Friday, 16th of October, 1987, I rang my broker because I wanted to place some option trades on the FTSE 100, which is the UK stock index. And price was around about 2450, 2450. You know, and it seems amazing now, no electronic screens, no nothing. You know, the broker had to ring me back to place the trade because he was busy with someone else. The company was Bailey Shatkin. And he said to me, you want to buy puts, right? 
which means I wanted to take a bet on the market to go down. And for a second, I thought about it and I said, no, 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 I want to buy calls, which meant I was betting on further upside of the market. Of course, what I didn't know was this was the Friday afternoon prior to the Black Monday, 1987, where the FTSE index and all the indexes across the entire planet dropped 22% in one day. That's the UK went down 22% in one day, which was absolutely devastating for anyone in the market. So now to come to the, the crunch line on how, how bad this trade was. So at the time, I think I had about 25,000 sterling in my trading account. So I, you know, I'd, I'd made money. I was doing well. I'd even bought a racehorse to keep me interested in racing. The horse never did anything. I think it only came in about fourth once, um, but that didn't do very, very much. But the 25K was probably, say, about 75 to 100K in today's money. But that 25K would have been, if I'd actually bought the puts as opposed to the calls, it would have been between 1.5 million and 2.5 million sterling at the time. So that was the size of the move and the leverage which the options would have given me because of the, the move was so uh, catastrophic. With that 1.5 million, if you take the lower figure, was, was very, very big money at the time. Bearing in mind, I just bought a flat in Chelsea for about 125,000. So I could have bought maybe you know 10 flats, rented them out, had about 70K income per year, something like that. And I was 29 years old. I could have packed up. So yeah. that was... <laughs> That was my worst trade. That was the worst trade. But those are the mistakes you make over time. And I feel like the hardest way then is to kind of recover from that. Like to tell yourself that, yes, you keep going. So how did you yeah. deal with that mistake? Did you just went on the next day with the same mindset as before? Or how did that go? Yeah, I mean, actually, what, what, actually at that point, yeah, I mean, that's a good question. Because at that point, what happened, I realized that I needed to get... Yeah, very, very serious about the whole thing. Because I think at the time, you know, we, we were just, as I said, the market was going up. I was, you know, looking at it was basically in equities, you know, the, the equity market was going up the whole time. I needed to really understand how the market was moving. And actually what happened was I started to understand that if I did the opposite of what everybody else was doing, I started to become profitable in all types of markets. So I just give you an example. Again, going back to the horse racing, you know, in the in the in the newspapers every day in over here, you get you get some guy who says, "Oh yeah, this is the horse which is going to win today." It's rather like a tip sheet for stocks, or somebody says, "Yeah, you know, uh, Euro US dollar is going to go up ten uh, hundred pips or something." I started to do the reverse of what all these people who were publishing this information they did, and the reason why I did this, one of the other reasons, was at the bank where I was working, I was actually partially in the back office, you know, when I was very young. And we saw that the directors were taking trades and it came through. We had to clear them. And we realized that the directors of the bank were losing money the whole time. They're always getting it wrong. So, I, you know, I was, I don't know how old I was, but with two or three of the guys I was working with, uh, we came up with this scheme to do the reverse of whatever they were doing. And we started to make money. So, you know, and these were the directors. So whenever they bought gold, we sold it. And we took exactly, you know, we had to wait a little bit to get the trade on. So we didn't get exactly the same price. And this sort of switched on a light. And it is also the same, same type of thing as the laying horses. It was, I was taking the bets of other people. So I was taking the other side of the uh, trade of the, the bank director, not directly, but I was doing the reverse of what he was doing. They found out in the end, they got very, very annoyed about what we were doing. But I had to learn the game properly. And a lot of the older traders just said, look, you know, when the telephones start going and everyone starts selling, that's the point when you start buying. So that is what I've done over the years. And my main trading style actually is to be a reversal, reversal trader. So actually uh, looking to, 
you know, always take the other side of anybody's trade at whatever the price is, but looking for price, price generally to reverse off swing lows, for example. Yeah, so I, uh, I just want to talk about, just talk about that a little bit because you cannot just, let's say, like buy yourself based on what yeah. the newspaper are going to tell you, right? So you have to have a plan and like many things in place. Yeah. How yeah. would you describe your training style with all those things? Okay, so what I had to do basically was to get some discipline into myself. So a lot of that came from that school where I was, where they used to, you know, where they were pretty strong and ruthless with us anyway. And I'm generally pretty ruthless with myself. For example, I'm up at 5.30 every day in the winter. I'm up at 4.30 in the summer, and I have to have a look at the market to see what it's done you know, yesterday, what it's done overnight, to see where I think that it might be going. But the training that I've actually made myself acquire is I need to understand not just to stand in front of a train, but to actually take the reversal when the reversal is just on the cusp of happening or has just started to turn. And that, if you like, is, is the skill set that I think I've acquired. Because most people, what they do is they just jump into the market. They try and fade the market, actually. And that's where they get run over by a steamroller. So I've had to train myself to actually to really truly be able to read the price action. So I trade just price with no indicators whatsoever. And I'm looking at the momentum to reverse in the in the opposite direction. And that's the main trading style that I actually have. That's great. And just to give some people a little bit of idea, what are the things that are signs of reversal, for example? Yeah, okay. So again, let me just give you some sort of real life analogies because I like to try and give as much, much information and, and help to people as possible. So firstly, if we what we got to define first of all is the, the most the two most common trading styles, which we call divergent and convergent trading strategy or trading style. So the first thing is if we assume that price, you know, wherever the price happens to be on the chart now, uh, it's not moving around violently, it's just going sideways. That is, uh, if the market then starts to move away from that price, that is a divergent trading style price is diverging away from where it is now. And uh, what I'm trying to do is uh, trade the convergent, which is when uh, price comes back into the mean, if you like. And the analogy that I've got, it's the sort of elastic band. So if you imagine an elastic band, you start stretching that elastic band. There's only one of two things that can happen. You stretch the elastic band and either it breaks completely, which is something that happened, for example, during the Brexit or the 9-11 or something. And then you, you, you are in a situation where all bets are off. It's just into uncharted territory, really, or, ter- or territory, which happens once every 10 years, five years, something like that. Or generally speaking, the price snaps back. And for people who do indicators, you can see this type of thing on a Bollinger Band, for example. So you're in the middle. That's the general type of area. And then all of a sudden, it starts to diverge away. That's the trend following. They diverge away from the middle. Then people follow the trend. It gets to a certain point, and it snaps back. And that is the type of thing that I'm looking for. As soon as it starts to snap back... I get an indication on the price that the market makers, because I'm actually 100% Forex now, the market makers have actually turned the market and the price is snapping back. That's the point when I actually go with the reversal. This is interesting because I do something very similar with the Wangshu Band. But the oh, question yeah, okay. I'm asking for myself right now is how do you do it without the Wangshu Band? Yeah, it's on the price. I'm looking. It's very simple. A lot of people actually, well, there's a couple of things. There's very people, a lot of people can't believe that I'm actually just using the price. But what I'm looking at is not necessarily a lot of people are looking at the name of the candle, the, the type of candle, the engulfing candle and all that. I don't really do all that. What I'm looking for is actually just the size and shape of the candle. And I think this comes back to the whole music thing again, the music on the chart, I'm looking at the shape and the pattern of those candles. 
And generally speaking, if you look at any point where price reverses, there is one candle where they push the price away from the area where they are. And in Forex, obviously, it's, it's driven mostly by the banks. And if you think about how they're going to make money, first, they need to get into a position. And when they're in that position, there's no point in them just staying, uh, letting price stay at the price where, where it currently is. The price needs to move away from that position in order for them to make a profit. So they need to kick it. They need to push it, a bit like pushing a boat out slightly off the side of the harbor. You need to push that boat out, and then it gradually goes out into the middle of the lake, as it were. And as it goes out, the price comes out, then other people will come in. You'll get all the MACD guys coming in. You'll get the moving average crossover guys coming in. You'll get all the other people coming in. And of course, the market makers are in the trade already. And as soon as those people are coming in, they're starting to come out. And then you get the swing. It comes up to a swing high and the, the position is uh, reversed. So that's how the market is swinging around you know, on, on whatever time frame you happen to look at, in fact. And yeah. what would you say with your trading style? Is there a time frame that you trade? Are you more uh, swing trading? Yeah, intraday. But I also do some swing trading now because I've got a lot of people on the, on, on the website who can't do intraday trading. Or it is difficult. And there is one thing which people should understand about the intraday trading. Most people actually get killed in intraday trading, not because they don't know how to trade, because there are a huge number of people who do know a lot about trading, retail people. And actually, a lot of retail people know a lot more about it than the bank people do, which is probably quite shocking to hear. Well, yeah. But it's true. But they get killed. I tell you why they get killed. It's because of the spread. So, for example, you know, for the bank, we're talking about something like, uh, you know, for, for the euro. 17 euros per million is the spread. And if you're talking for a retail trader who's trading a contract of 100,000, they're talking about 17 euros per 100,000. So there's a factor of 10 in the difference of the spread. And in between the bank spread of 17 for a million and the retail spread of 17 for 100,000, there's an, a, a myriad, an army of all these guys who are providing liquidity and all the rest of it and all the brokers making all the profit. So it's an extremely profitable business for the broker. And the problem that most people have is to get across the spread. It's very, very easy to actually design a winning trading strategy. It's extremely easy. I'm going to give a couple on the, on the call. But the problem is you've got to get across the spread, and that's where most people actually get killed. So you, you've got to come up with something which is maybe a little bit longer term than day trading so that, that spread becomes not so important. So if you go out to an hour or four-hour time frame, oh, yeah, then the then, spread yeah. becomes a lot less, and you have some chance of winning. So They get killed mostly because of the spread. And then there are a couple of other problems they get killed by, which is the fact they don't hold their trades and they hold the losers, but they cut the winners and they hold the losers. But of course, you need to cut the losers and hold the winners. So that's, that's basically what happens. And how do you see your day trading differs from your swing trading? Is it the same strategy? Is just applied to different time frame or is yeah. it? Yeah, so same strategy applied to just different uh, time frame. The, the only other thing which I use for the uh, day trading and also for, for the uh, swing trading is the bank levels. A lot of people don't know, but the banks actually, they mostly do not use traditional indicators as uh, we would use. Sometimes you see on the television, you know, when there's like a crisis or something, you see a couple of guys looking at charts and all the rest of it, and they talk about, you know, Dow Jones is down you know, 500 points or whatever it is. See a couple of guys looking at charts and you see a few wavy lines. A lot of those people actually, what people don't know is a lot of those people are actually in support or something like that. They're not really actually doing any trading. And the majority of traders, they either do a trade, trade order flow or they just trade 
price and they use bank, what I call bank levels. So they use a combination of mostly monthly levels to see where price has been. And they trade from monthly level to monthly level. So groups of monthly levels together. So they get these, that's how a lot of the swings are created. But they're using order flow and all things like the monthly levels in order to get from A to B and zoom in and out. And additionally, a lot of them are doing, a lot of the very, very big traders are, are trading weekly and even monthly as well. And on those charts, it's much easier to see the trend, get on the right side of the trend and to stay on the right side of the trend because you don't get the, the whipsaw, you don't get so much noise. And also, again, the trading costs become almost negligible. But uh, unfortunately, the problem is that a, lot of, a lot of the retail guys, they want a little bit more action than that. So they, they like to do intraday. Would you recommend people to go as far as this to become profitable or should they stick to a day or lower time? Yeah, I think most people should, if they can, go longer term time frame because you've got to look at the spread. As I say, if you can get a spread, I mean, there is, uh, I don't know if I can mention companies on here, but LMAX, for example, which I think everybody knows, they are down at about 0.4, again, euro, US dollar, that's the spread. So the bank, uh, if you're you know, trading with the bank, you'll be down at about 0.17. So, and that's the 17 pound per, uh, so that, that'll be, yeah, 1.7 per 100,000. But, you know, there's a massive difference there. There's a ma massive difference in between the, the uh, 0.17 and 0.4. And if you look at the retail trade, it's about, you know, it could be as much as two pips, which is 200. So it's a massive difference. If you do 10 trades a day, you know, this, this, just do the mass. It's, it's huge disadvantage for the retail trader. So best is to do a little bit longer term time frame, but people... You know, they don't really want to do it. They want to have some action, which is part of the problem. They like to be actively actively involved in, on, on per day. But all I would say to that is there are, I think, about 26 tradable currency pairs where the spread is, is reasonable. And if you, even if you do longer term time frames, there's still 26 currency pairs you can get signals of quite, quite easily. So you can still have plenty of action. Just it means it's, it's, it lasts overnight as opposed to just during the day. And how do you know which currency pairs are more reliable? Well, again, I mean, they all move in different ways. Uh, I just look at the euro because that's what I do, um, you know, in, the, in my professional career. That's that's what we do here. But I do also give a little bit of commentary on British pound, Japanese yen. It moves very differently, much smoother. A lot of people like British pound, Japanese yen. British pound, US dollar is a little bit of a graveyard for a lot of people. It's a very aggressive London traders who are always trying to send people the wrong way. But I, I'm a believer in actually trying to specialize in one thing. And, you know, I don't really go off too far to other currency pairs, but I know a lot of them do trend in a way a lot easier than the euro. But I follow also the economic news just to have an idea of what's going on for the euro as well. So uh, it's best for me just to stick to something that I understand. And that's also where the volume is and the trading is as well. Mm -hmm. So I kind of get this idea when you want to day trade to like stick to one currency pair or one thing. But yeah. how about when you want to go on higher time frame? Can you only stick to one or I guess it's going to be difficult? Uh, uh, no, no, you can go to for the higher time frame. You, you can switch to you know, any, any one of those 26. I mean, for example, if you, if you happen to be from a certain part of the world, I don't know, from, from New Zealand or Australia or something, it's best just to tra trade your local currency. You will have much more feel for it. And even if you don't, I mean, I have one half of an eye on things like interest rates and announcements of ECB and stuff like that. I follow that, but I don't trade off that. But it does help to, you know, understand part of the picture. Otherwise, you're just trading in a, in a, in a vacuum uh, and, and you do need to understand a little bit like what's going to happen. Now, for example, at the moment, uh, again, I don't do people laugh at this, but I do not predict prices. I take, I get on the train just as the train is starting to move out of the station. That's the analogy that I give. But I don't know where the next stop is going to be for the train. 
But at the moment, you know, the train is just leaving on the short side for the euro. And technically, if you look at all the indicators and all the guys that do the predictions, you know, it's going to probably go below parity. However, you know, we might have something like Greece come out of the euro, which I think is probably, again, it's not normally my style to talk about this. But when you start to see what they're talking about openly now, if Greece comes out, euro might go up big time because they will be uh, unshackled, as it were. So I don't predict any, I think that the actual prediction game is, is a very, very dangerous game because, you know, if it was possible to predict, then, you know, none of us would be here. And just one thing to, on that point, actually, just a nice anecdote for people just to talk about a prediction and just to go back way back to 1987. Part of the thing when I was doing the option trading and the rest of it was uh, in 1987 with that crash. And people can look this up on, t- in, on the internet. There's a guy called Daniel Pallant, who actually is an astrologist, you know, and I was about 26 at those days. You're just trying to make money. You look at anything huh, when you're very, very young. And this guy was, he wrote for the Financial Times. So I sort of understood. I thought, well, okay, this, you know, Financial Times must be a good newspaper. Guy writing for the Financial Times must know what he's talking about. 1st of January edition, the New Year edition of Financial Times, 1987, they had the article by Daniel Pallant, who is this astrologist. And believe it or not, a lot of top banks and top hedge funds actually do employ astrologists. They don't like to publish it, but they do. The article was called, it said, Free Fall from the Skies. Okay, and he was talking about the FTSE 100, and this relates to the trade that went wrong for me. And not only did he nail the month, he nailed the weekend when it was going to happen. The guy got it right. Don't ask me how it works. And interesting enough, there is a sort of girl who's, he's obviously older, this guy now, but there's a girl who's taken over from him in that sphere. I don't remember her name off the top of my head. She was adamant Trump would not get in, but she got Brexit right a year early. And she also got right that there was going to be some type of firestorm in the skies the night that it happened. And actually, I was here and we saw this firestorm in the skies and it happened. So when I say prediction doesn't work, it doesn't work for me, but for some people, it possibly does. So. Just a little anecdote, which is quite interesting. So interesting. It's always going to be in a game of number for sure. But uh, yeah, 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 yeah. So, why do you think people need to become profitable? Because, of course, there's many, many parts to it. And the two things I hear the most about are about training strategies and how to find the perfect training strategy, let's say, and then how to be disciplined to follow it. So, like, do you have any tips on that? Anything you want to share? Yeah. Okay. So, I think. In order to get profitable, I think people have to get serious about trading. What I see is I see a lot of people who they would like to you know, do some trading, I like to earn some extra money or whatever, but you need to treat it as a business. I mean, it needs to be, it actually helps in a way if it's your only income, because if you don't take it seriously, then you know, you don't, you're not going to be able to put any food on the table. You know, I've got, I've got children and I have to pay, you know, school fees and things like that. So I have to take this seriously because I've got to make money. I've got to bring money in, you know. I mean, obviously I get paid by the bank and all the rest of it. I've, I've, uh, I give them an invoice at the end of the month and all the rest of it. They pay me for what I do for them. But you need to get serious about it. And generally speaking, I would suggest that in order to calm down the emotions, because that's a lot of problem is that also people get carried away with emotions. You need to cut the trading size, you need to cut the leverage, and you actually need to look at the charts and find out what is it you like, which part of the trading is it you like. You know, do you want to be a uh, you know, breakout trader, reversal trader? Which currency pair do you want to trade? Do you actually want to trade currencies? Is there something else which resonates even more? Commodities, you know, for example, Australia, massive commodity country. You know, they're digging out, I think it's more copper out of the ground than anybody else. 
are sending it to China. I mean, you know, maybe you just want to be an expert in copper. And but if you whatever it is you choose, you've got to get absolutely inside of, of the whole subject. You need to understand, you know, the main players. You need to uh, you actually need to sort of reach out to people as well. And I did oh, this yeah. at the time. I tried. I started sort of writing letters to people and think I didn't really get that many replies, but I did get some people to help me. And basically, the people that helped me did say, "Look, you know, you need to basically take the reverse off the other people's trades." Uh, but it, you know, it's obviously also possible to make traders uh, make money as momentum trader as well. But you need to understand, you know, when is the trend really developing and when is this just a false breakout? So I would say get very, very serious. Also, keep the people that are around you involved in what you're doing. So, for example, if you're married, you've got a wife or a partner, you've got to tell them what's going on. Don't just sit there, you know, night after night losing money. You've got to tell them, okay, this is the plan. This is how we're going to do it. I need to study. You know, and if necessary, pay the right people. Do you know, it is possible to actually have consulting with some of the guys in the books of the market wizards, for example. I don't know if you know, you know the yeah, books yeah, of the market. Yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> I mean, okay, it costs, it costs a bitter, but it depends on how much you want to pay. Um, maybe five, ten thousand dollars $10,000 or something. You can go to meet these guys. And I know people who have done this who were prior to going were not you know, possibly marginally, marginally profitable traders and not very good. But one session with those people and then they have a follow up, you get some uh, massive advantage, some information about how they actually do it. And if these people got published uh, track records and things like that, I mean, you can't really go wrong. But it means you have to invest. Uh, that's the oh, thing. Yeah, 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 obviously. And also you need to have this, the psyche needs to be right. So, for example, you know, you have to sort of uh, not to prejudge, but you have to. Think of yourself, you know, being successful, maybe perhaps when you're not yet successful and tell people what you're doing. You know, when you go to a dinner party, they say, well, okay, what are you doing? You say, well, okay, I work for an XYZ company, but actually in the evening, you know, I'm a commodities trader, I'm a Forex trader. And they say, oh, wow, you know, what's that? You know, at first, and then you tell them, well, actually, I buy and sell, you know, currencies on the international financial markets. And people are immediately interested. They say, well, how do you do that? And then you sort of play back your ideas to people and then they ask questions. And from doing that, you learn a lot of things yourself and you you become clear yourself and the whole thing. And and then also, if depending on where you live in the world and stuff and what sort of, you know, people you mix with, a lot of people say, well, okay, you know, if you, how much can you make out of that? And then, but you know, can you manage my money or something? You know, it goes from one thing to another. So, but you need to believe, now you need to believe you're standing on the winner's podium. You know, that's the thing. You've got to see yourself actually there. But you do need to do the work. That's the point. You can't just imagine that you're successful and then sit back and do nothing. You've got to do the work. You've yeah, got to do the just, work. Just to add a little bit to that, I think this is pretty much how it went for me. The fact of talking about it a little bit more and like, getting more involved everywhere. And that's really, really yeah. But the yeah. one thing I really noticed with traders in general sometimes is that, I don't know, some people have this tendency to like keep it secret. Like they trade, but they don't want to tell it to everyone. Or I don't know yeah. why, but it's something that happens. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, That's a really good point. Yeah, there are people who are like that. There's, there's people on both sides. There's professional traders who you, you just don't see. You won't get access to them. They're just locked away somewhere. You won't see anything. Uh, and then there's retail traders who basically, they're bleeding. Huh? They're, they're stripping money every day. They just keep pouring money into the markets. You don't say anything either. But they don't want to come out of their cocoon in order to learn something. So, But I mean, all I would say, also I would say is that the playing field for retail trader is now, it's never been easier than it than it's done now. I mean, even if you have a two pip, uh, you know, spread, you go a little bit longer term time frame, it's possible to make money. You know, it's the same prices as at the bank. You know, automation is easy, does not cost much. A VPS is not very expensive. Uh, you know, the internet has created a lot of opportunities. And when I first started, the, the spread on the British pound US dollar was 15 pips. Wow. <laughs> you know, so yeah, yeah. I mean, this was something which big banks did. They put a position on it, it lasted three months, you know, and, and, 
The market has, has changed an awful lot since then. 60, 70% of it automated trading. You can see that all over the place. I was on a thing with LMAX the other day. They are doing between two and 3,000 uh, trades per second on their exchange. Yeah. You know, and so when you get things like non-farm payroll goes up to between 10, 12,000 trades per second, most of that obviously automated. So things have changed a lot, but it's still possible. The trends are there and the reversals are there. As long as it trends, as long as the price moves, you can make money. When it doesn't move, nobody's going to make any money. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Really good point. Yeah, really good point. Yeah. yeah. And what would you tell people who are kind of impatient, like they want to see success tomorrow in trading? Yeah, it's difficult. You've got to, yeah, that, that's probably the, the, the hardest thing. I think, as I said, you, yeah, the success is there, but you need to, people need to cut size, cut leverage. If they, if they you know, there's this question of over trading as well. I think it's better to trade more currency pairs rather than trade more trades within the same currency pair. You know, try and go for a little bit longer term time frame. And also start to do a lot of investigation yourself. Actually work, you need to have a strategy. You know, for example, I mean, can I, can I give some strategies and stuff here? Oh, as yeah, well? yeah, sure. okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so, I mean, again, this is a very, very simple thing. For example, you know, if, let's make it very simple. If you take, uh, if, if two out of the last three bars uh, are down, uh, so if you just take the one hour time frame, four hour time frame, uh, let's just take something very, very simple or daily. Two out of the last three bars are down. There's a 53% chance that the next bar is going to be up. So you got a 3% edge. So that, you know, that's just three. So if three out of the last four bars down, I think the edge comes up to 5%. With that type of thing, there's no filter, there's no moving average, there's no nothing. So, you know, there's trades all over the place. I got stuff which takes me up to 70% chance of prediction of the next bar, 73% I got, something like that. So to get between 50 and 60 is actually very, very easier. And you, you can try this out for yourself. And then you know, if you get a, say you get a, you know, just using new bars to create something easy, then put a filter like on, you know, maybe if the bar is underneath, you know, a moving average of 20 or something, take the trade. If it's under, if it's not underneath, don't take it. So two-step trading, very, very simple. And then apply that to a longer term time frame, And you will get loads of trades. Huh? You'll get hundreds of trades. You won't be able to manage it. So then you have to just cut out certain currencies, but then people will get action, but it's probably on the longer term time frame. So that's the type of thing that I would suggest that, that people, and also think out of the box, be absolutely crazy. I mean, you know, what is the relationship between the euro US dollar on a Monday morning in London when it's raining and when it's not raining? I don't know the answer to that, but there are guys out there. I can't remember. There's a website I was going to quote. Actually, there are guys out there who are quants who now do things like, for example, this is a good one for you because you're in Hong Kong. They are looking at the transport of goods out of China. And they've got this satellite technology or whatever. They're able to monitor all these boats and they're able to look at every single harbor in the world, you know, in the type of nanosecond or something and work out how many boats are where they should be or not should be in the harbor and where they've come from, et cetera, et cetera. And then with this, they can tell, is the economy booming or not booming? That's basically what they're trying to do. And then they can bet on the stock market according to, you know, how much is coming out of China? How much are we buying over here in the West? And, uh, there's people doing all sorts of crazy ideas. So the more crazy, like the guy with the, you know, the, the free fall from the stars from the astrologist guy or something more crazy, there's still edges around which you can get big edges. And people think there's nothing left, but there is. Yeah, as long as you test it and you know for sure it's going to work. Yeah, you've got to look at it and, and back, you know, back test it. But you know, there's the old one also is the full moon. Actually, it was, I think it's full moon here last night. And I've seen reports. Again, I, I don't really have time to do all this stuff, but I'm interested in it. 
there's reports uh, from years back, maybe 25 years ago, I read reports that Forex does stuff on the full moon. And I've seen charts, doesn't work all the time, but I've never actually gone back and worked out, is there actually an edge? Because, you know, bearing in mind, if you can get two or 3% edge, you're laughing. You know, the casinos in Las Vegas have, have built fortunes of billions on an edge of, what is it, 5.6, I think, for roulette, something like that. You know, you, you know, and these people are, that's why the, you know, the mafia were in there because they realized that it, it's massive money. Yeah? And again, the banks, their edge is, is not that big, but they're using huge money and they know how to control their risk. So there are plenty of opportunities out there. And there's simple opportunities like, for example, the, you know, the bars up, bars down that I gave, and then just applying a simple moving average or whatever it is you want to do uh, with regard to uh, you know, filtering. Now, just two steps. Don't make it too difficult. Don't do you know, moving average plus CCI plus RSI plus all yeah, this no. and uh-huh. you know, all these lines all over the place. No, no, no. That's not how they do it. It needs to be kept simple. But the more crazy the idea, the more likely you will find something simple, uh, something which works rather. Yeah. So I want to yeah. take your time. I know we're already 40 minutes in the interview. Okay. So how can people find you? Okay, I'm at um, exacttrading.com. So it's www.exacttrading. So it's two T's in the middle or one word.com. Or you can send me an email at paul at exacttrading.com. So I like to talk Forex. I get a lot of emails from people. So I'm always answer everybody. If they have any questions, just send me a question. And I'll be pleased to help and pleased to answer. And what kind of goal do you have for the future? Okay, for me, so I'm continuing to try and automate all of my trading. And so this is an ongoing process. It's not as easy as it looks, but I want to take any, I mean, I, this is something also I would advise for everybody. If you look what the banks are doing, they're automating everything as well. So you take the emotion out of the trading, flick the switch on on your automatic trading and you walk away. That's the best way to trade. That leaves then further time for uh, further research and other projects. And then I'm also looking at starting a uh, hedge fund. The regulation of course, and this, the cost is now astronomic. Uh, it is absolutely astronomic. So I might have to partner with someone, uh, but I do like to have, you know, over, overall control of the decision-making. And the point about hedge funds is you do have to be careful actually, because at the, uh, a lot of them fail because if, there, if you do have a little bit of a drawdown, people withdraw money. So you need to have the right type of money that people understand you as yeah. a trader. I'm continuing the education route. So I've got more, I'm trying to get regular traders to become profitable and trying to get people to remove the baggage of clutter from their screens, the indicators, and also trying to t- teach people that you know you need to be properly capitalized as well. A lot of people are undercapitalized. They right. don't have enough money. So there's all that going on. And wow. I'm also, well, yeah, also some plans to do some seminars coming up as well. I might actually come back to Hong Kong as well because I was there in the summer. I might come back to Hong Kong and do a seminar over there. Maybe try and hit the Chinese market, whoever knows. Yeah. And what would be your number one motivation for all that stuff? Okay. For me, the whole trading is a game. Eh? It's an intellectual game. Again, it comes back to sort of the music type of thing. It's an intellectual, something into that you've got to read the price. And it's intellectual in the sense that the whole thing looks very, very simple. Either the price, it goes up or it goes down. So it, it can't be difficult, you know, can it? But actually, of course, we know it's hugely difficult. You just have two choices, up or down. But of course, getting the right direction is very, very difficult. But the motivation comes from the fact there's always new, untried methods out there ready to put on the table. The crazier the idea, the more likely you're trying to, you, you can find something special. So that's the motivation for carrying on. I, you know, I also need to, you know, I got to put money on the table as well. I, I'm trying to buy a new house soon. I want to you know, get something quite nice. And you know, I need to have money, got school fees to pay. And I like to work as well. I'm, I'm very, very motivated. So I'll mm, keep going. Cool, cool. So I just want to remind the listeners that all the shows are going to be on desiretotrade.com. People want to find the yep. link to uh, your website or they want to contact you. Everything's going to be there. It's going to make it yep. really easy for them to contact you. 
Yeah. And we'll probably put links to your course or everything you have. And okay. Paul, we have a question we always ask the guests at the end of the podcast. If you could give yeah. only one piece of advice for traders in one sentence, what would that one sentence of advice be? Okay, I think the piece of advice, I'm obviously you know, from the UK, I'm a huge fan of Winston Churchill, actually, because he was an underachiever at school. And I was actually in a school where the people were extremely talented, hugely talented at the school. And I, had to, and I was told by the guys that you know, I was an under, underachiever and all the rest of it. But actually, it turned out afterwards that I wasn't an underachiever. I was actually in, in the middle, like most people. But that wasn't good enough for these guys. So I got it in the neck a little bit from them. But I would say my quote is from Winston Churchill is never give in. I would qualify this by saying never give in, but don't keep repeating something if it isn't working. So if something is not working, if you're trying to be a reversal trader and it's not working, you keep you know, get a market is hitting you every time you try and take a reversal and you're hitting your head on a brick wall, then you're going to get a headache, first of all. So you need to stop what you're doing and do something differently. So and how do you do something differently? Well, then, you know, you've got to turn the stone, stone over, look underneath it. You've got to scatter the stones in a different pattern to see what shows up and try and work out what it is that you're getting wrong. You know, get excited about the trading. Try and find some patterns on charts which say something. Uh, where does it feel good for you? If your reversal trade is not working, maybe you're actually a momentum trader. And that's all part of the deal. You, you've got to work out, you know, are you a convergent or divergent trader? See what resonates with you. Do the work. Everything is available, you know, and also, as I said before, tell the people that are around you what you're doing, get them to help you a bit, keep things uh, balanced, you know, make sure you take a holiday, make sure you do go to a restaurant sometime and, and take a break away from screens. And so, you know, never give in, but do it sensibly. If things are not working, try and change them and carry on working until you find something that is, is right for you. Awesome. Well, I have, thanks so much for being on the podcast. It's been a pleasure to. Okay. Yeah, it's been a pleasure to be with you. Thanks very much. Another really cool thing about being in Hong Kong is that I've been able to meet some really amazing people, people that you wish you would meet, and some of the previous guests of the podcast. One of them was Moritz Czpaninski, the guy behind Trade Society, as well as Edge Wonk. And we had the chance to talk, and I had the chance to learn a little bit more about what he's doing, especially with Edge Wonk. And what I've realized is how powerful that tool could be and how you could use it really to improve your trading. Edgewong is quite simply a trading journal software where you put in all your trades, all the information, and you get this really detailed journal with all the things you need to know and all the things you should monitor, whatever the level you're at right now in trading. If you're the type of person who's going to backtest or journal with spreadsheet, well, this is for you and it's going to really make it 10 times better because you're able to see exactly how your trade work, what they do, and it's really, really a great tool to make it simpler for you. I just found out the past week that it could really help you make your strategy better. And I tried it myself recently. To give you guys a good deal, I decided to partner up with Morris and give you guys a discount. If you want to dive in and check it out, simply go on desartotrade.com forward slash journal and you'll be able to see everything there. And for the first 10 people who register with that link, I'll give you guys a three-month access to the Desartotrade Academy. This is the academy I have online where I put all my content, all my training courses, and we do calls every month to make sure that you guys are on the right track. It's only a course, but it's really an academy and a community packed together. So simply go on thisartistite.com forward slash journal. And as soon as you're signed up, let me know. It's been a pleasure to have you here again. And I really appreciate you tuning in every single week. We'll have a great podcast next week. And I cannot wait to share it with you guys. So on that note, don't forget to check out the offer with Edgewonk. I'll see you back in the next episode of the Desire to Trade podcast. Ciao. 
Thanks for listening to the Desire to Trade podcast. To get all the information on this show, free articles, and unique resources, make sure to check out www.desiretotrade.com and subscribe. Please leave us a review and let us know what you thought about the show. It's time to become the best trader you can be. See you next time.